0: And here we are with the World Coffee Championships podcast. Today we are talking about two competitions in one, but first we're going to start with roasting. And I'm joined by a new co-host. Who are
1: you? Hey, hello. My name is Anna Oleksa. Super happy and excited to be part of this.
0: So Anna, you're here co-hosting the roasters segment of the podcast, but what's your connection to roasting?
1: In 2010, I co-opened a specialty coffee micro-roastery in uh, Warsaw, Poland, and was uh, running the business for uh, five years. Mainly, uh, I was involved in green coffee buying, quality control, and of course, uh, marketing. And uh, last year, I was happy to join um, World Roasting Championship, and I was responsible for the uh, judges' operations there.
0: Fantastic. And where are you recording from?
1: Uh, Warsaw, Poland. It's hot, absolutely hot here. And I don't need the coffee now, I just need the beers.
0: (laughs) And Anna, before we dive into the episode, I want to quickly say thanks to our sponsors.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So, the World Coffee Championship podcast series is supported by Victoria Arduino. Victoria Arduino advances coffee knowledge and innovates across design, technology and performance to produce machines that nurture coffee professionals' passion for espresso excellence. You can learn more at victoriaarduino.com or give them a follow at victoriaarduino1905. And today's episode on the Jesuit Ibrick Championships and the World Coffee Roasting Championships is supported by Luemides Papagalos. For over a century, Luemides Papagalos has been evolving Ibrick coffee tradition in Greece. If you want to learn more, visit nestlenoyazomai.gr slash Lumidis.
1: Yeah, of course, I know that sound very well.
0: <laughs> okay, Anna, here's a question for you. How would you roast an Ethiopian yoga chef?
1: Depends on the purpose. If it's for filter, probably something like 11 minute uh, roast with a first crack at 10 minutes. Why do you ask me about that?
0: I played a game the other day with a few friends of mine across the coffee roasting space. Okay, here is a fresh cropped washed yogurt chef and I want to roast it for espresso. What would you want to bring out? And what would that roast curve look like in terms of first crack and the development ratio? And I gave a bunch of technical information around like the moisture, 11%, you know, water activity density, screen sizes. And I got back some responses. Shall we take a listen? <laughs>
1: yeah, sure. So technically it is possible to enhance either acidity or sweetness.
2: I will look for a 55 factor tones, like a meat and roast. I would highlight floral aromatic, like bergamot. Probably moving away from
3: the harsh citric acidity.
1: I always look for sweetness. And the decision making points are usually the charge, the turnaround, the yellow point,
4: and the development phase. We will start in, in 160 Celsius degrees. Charge at 200.
5: 175 degrees. 205 to 112
4: centigrade. And the first track in 12 minutes.
6: Like at 9 minutes.
5: What 845.
6: A development rate of 80 to 19%.
5: 12.5 or 12.8? Between
7: 18 and 20 percent. eighteen percent development after crack.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah, you see, it's so subjective. <laughs> I never met two roasters saying exactly the same approach, uh, how to roast any specific coffee.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, how do you build a competition with so much subjectivity?
1: <laughs> no, it's that simple at all. I think it's the most uh, exhausting competition for co- both organisers, uh, judges, but also uh, for the competitors.
0: So Anna, I'd love to know what the coffee roasting landscape looked like back around the time the competition was introduced. When did you start roasting?
1: It was year 2010, and at that time it was really so difficult to find uh, information about roasting, to find someone that will teach you how to roast.
0: But why weren't people communicating?
1: I think it was still this approach of kind of secrecy, like not sharing your profiles, not sharing your knowledge. Like, still, a lot of roasters would tend to say, like, it's an art, it's a magic. Mm-hmm think about roaster, how it is different than being a barista. A barista is like on his or her daily basis. uh, They are communicating with other people. They are sharing what they know uh, about coffee. This is their job as well. But when you're a roaster, you are just closed with your roaster and this is what you do from the very morning till the end. You just roast your coffee and you try to be so focused Mm -hmm. as you can to provide a very consistent roasting. So you do not uh, let's say uh, really and chat with other people or get in contact.
0: Interesting. So I spoke with Trish Rothgeb, who was one of the people who put a lot of effort into creating the first roasting competition.
1: <laughs> yeah, she did.
0: And she told me about what she wanted to do with this competition to break down this problem of roasters not
6: communicating with each other.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward.
6: <laughs> My name is Trish Rothgeb. And I am a co-owner, co-founder at Wrecking Ball Coffee in San Francisco, California. I learned how to roast in 1990. And uh, the guy that taught me how to roast was like, I'd rather golf in the morning. So like, here's how you turn it on. And I need it to look like this when you're done, make it brown, and here's your stopwatch. So um, (laughs) I had to decide what I liked in the cup. I had to decide how I liked coffee for myself in Brazil on a buying trip years ago. I had made friends with a guy named Philip Akerblom, who's from Sweden. He was kind of like a counterpart to me in the roasting space in Europe, where he was really involved in giving classes and teaching for the specialty community. And we spoke a lot about training for roasters and about how we wished it could be in the future. For the longest time in roasting, especially specialty coffee roasting, there's a big sort of veil of uh, secrecy in a way. Not really secrecy, but just like need to know information. If you're not a roaster, it doesn't get disseminated to anyone really in a very efficient way. Philip kept bugging me about this idea. One of the ways to learn is to develop a competition where competitors were actually stretch themselves and stretch the industry and move the needle in that way by competing against each other. One thing that we wanted to do, or at least I really wanted to do, was have this idea that anybody could just, once they've registered, all they needed to do was show up with themselves and their brain. So you didn't have to bring any apparatus, equipment, cups, saucers, speech. It was purely what you could do. How large are your beans? Are they a screen size 15 or a screen size 20? So how does the roaster apply heat to that bean? It's very different and you should know that. Is it a heavy bean for its size or very lightweight? Is this a natural processed coffee or a wash coffee, a hard bean? And then you had a sample roast of that coffee, so you know what the potential was. Now, sample roast is not supposed to be the best roast that coffee is ever going to experience. But a roaster should be able to sample roast their coffee and figure out how they're going to push the things they want to push. So you would show up and there were three kinds of coffee. You did your analysis of the three that were offered and deciding which coffee you were going to use. You also had to write a plan for that roast. In other words, I know this coffee is an Ethiopian uh, Yirgacheffe. It's a bright coffee, it's washed. I wanna accentuate the florals and the lemon in this coffee, but I also wanna balance it with a nice honey sweetness. So I'm gonna roast this coffee to this level and at the end, the cup will taste like this. We had the first dry run in Vienna, 2012. From my perspective, I think it went really great. I think that the thing we were wondering about was, were we going to get spectators? People were very interested. And we sort of started taking Q&A from the audience, like, well, what do you mean by moisture density? And then Philip and I could tell them what that was. And so it was an education for The audience as well as the roasters were just sort of like got stuck in and in my mind it reminded me of the Bocuse d'Or that happens in culinary world where these teams just work and the audience just watches them work and it seems like something that wouldn't be a spectator sport but it turned out to be and then on the production roaster day we had three roasters hooked up with big screens that showed the curves happening in real time. And that was so interesting for spectators to watch. So somewhere between 20 and 50 at a time would be watching. And then the judges, three judges that would cup using a cupping form. And uh, we know if you're taking a beautiful, high grown, nuanced and balanced and amazing colombian and you burn it to a crisp that you should not get points for that that's not the best expression of that coffee so it's not a matter of just hitting the notes you said you were gonna hit i think for the a lot of the time i've been in coffee i've been volunteering because i believe that coffee is in a very interesting stage where we're finding out so much about coffee but essentially we're learning from each other. And I've learned a lot myself because when you get involved in these kind of things, you may come in thinking you're an expert, but if you stay in that space of I'm the one that knows everything and I'm the expert, you will miss out because people are teaching you stuff. If you can listen, you're someone who's going to learn so much from everybody around you.
1: Yeah. Actually, Philip Ackerblum was uh, one of the first teachers to our roaster. And when he checked the roasts we were uh, proposing to our customers at that time, he said, like, You are going <laughs> to a very bad direction. Oh, right. So... What are you doing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, at that time we wanted that our coffees will taste really bright and acidic and we wanted to express the the fruitiness, of course, but when you miss the sweet spot, when you are not developing your coffee enough, then the coffee really didn't taste uh, great.
0: Mm -hmm. And how have you seen the popularity of this competition change since 2013 when it first launched?
1: Like, there were like 11, 10, 9 competitors until the year 2017, when it almost doubled. Whoa. Last year, we had 23 competitors. The amount doubled since uh, 2016. Why? I think uh, it's because um, more and more uh, specialty coffee micro roasteries are opening. Baristas, this is their dream to become a roaster.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's compare the numbers. At the barista competitions, you might have, I don't know, on and off up to 60, 70 countries that compete. Correct. But roasters, what, you'd be lucky to push 24? (laughs) Yeah. Why?
1: It is a very difficult competition to be organized. Uh, Basically, you are setting up a whole facility with roasters, with sampling roasters, with a lab, with warehouse, and all those safety procedures. So uh, I think this is very logistically challenging competition.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. What does it cost to put on? I'm going to put a number out there. Uh I'm going to say $10,000.
1: $10,000, I think it could be sometimes not uh, enough. It depends on the country and your relationship with the sponsors or the equipment suppliers. Also think about you need to send your champion to the world championship. And sometimes, it's, uh, for instance, I don't know, you have a competition in, let's say, in Mexico and then you have to send your winner to China. $10,000 might be not even enough.
0: Wow. Well, you mentioned Mexico and I can give you some very specific information about Mexico because I spoke with the organizer of Mexico's roasting competition, Silvia Gutierrez, and she told me what it takes to put it on.
8: Great. My name is Silvia Gutiérrez. I work for Asociación Mexicana de Cafés y Cafeterías de Especialidad. We are the national body, or competition body now, uh, for the World Coffee Events.
0: What's really interesting about her story, she showed what value the roasting competition brings to coffee producing countries specifically.
8: We started the roasting competition in Mexico around six years ago. The competition helped to the roaster scene in Mexico to learn more about the potential that our beans, the Mexican beans, uh, can provide to the market. Uh, Before and now, still now, the consumers are used to drink burnt coffee or baked coffee, not good quality coffee, aged coffee. And with the roasting competition, this is beginning to change. And there is a lot of learning about new techniques, about the software that is needed for roasting, but also they understand the importance of the work before roasting, like moisture measuring, how the density impacts in the roasting process. In the Mexican Roasting Championship, the last year we had 30 people that applied for a spot, but we only can have spots for 12 maximum. I know that there are other countries that have like 50 or 60 competitors. We cannot. We cannot do that. It's challenging because you have to set up a whole roastery with a coffee lab, with a small warehouse, with the all the security items, you know, like gas or, or electricity. So you have to build in two days a whole facility. <laughs> Once I helped one country to organize their first competition, and no matter how much planning you have before, there is always happening something. So our challenge there was there were three large roasters and three small roasters, sample roasters. The schedule was for all the six roasters to work simultaneously, but it didn't work at all. There was a lot of smoke there because the extraction of the smoke was uh, not efficient. So when you turn one, the other three had to stop. So how can you stop a, a roasting process? It was not possible. So we needed to change the schedule and to work extra hours. But it worked because the competitors understood and also the sponsor and also the organizers. We all worked together to adapt for the first competition. When you are in a poor country or in a developing country, you have to eat instead of learn. Growers are not that wealthy. You know, it's been like almost 50 years or or more that we've been in crisis, like coffee prices. So I think with the roasting and also with better prices, growers can have better opportunities to jump up to the value stream. So that's why I think roasting is like it's a way to communicate and to share knowledge to other side of the coffee chain that are not as wealthy as a roaster. The first time Mexico went to the worst roasting championship, we went the last position with a lot of learning. I'm very happy for participating. And last year was amazing because Eduardo Juarez reached the fifth place which was very emotional moment for us and very important because you feel the rewards of all the work of the community. I would love to say that every country should have its own roasting competition. No matter how developed they are, it helps a lot to understand the specialty coffee, especially the producing countries should have a roasting competition. It will help a lot to improve the coffee consumption and also the specialty coffee market. And also more women. We need to see more women competing. We have the same skills as the men.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I totally understand how she felt during organizing championships.
0: Yeah. So how do you see the competition changing in the future?
1: Hmm. more challenges will come, the more competitors will come. So on one hand, we really want more competitors and more countries. But on the other hand, it's a really complicated and long championship because you don't compete for 15 minutes. You compete for at least three hours.
0: Over many days too, right?
1: Absolutely. I will share with you maybe something controversial, because when you judge other competitions, like, for instance, barista or brewers, this is for you also an opportunity to shine on stage when you are a judge, because you go on stage, you greet the barista, you are there, you are served with beautiful coffees, you enjoy the performance, while here, it's like you are... (laughs) No one greets you, <laughs> you just do your job, like in the imagine your busiest day in the roastery and then you cup the coffees one by one and it's really exhausting. And there is a lot of tension, a lot of stress. You need to be really fast, accurate. And uh, it happens that coffees are not tasting that great because maybe some of them have some roasting defects. So it's not really this amazing experience that you have when you're judging other competitions, when you are served as a customer. Here is you are more like a ordinary <laughs> worker in the factory. Of course, it's a huge opportunity to learn. If you really want to learn about roasting, about what you can do with different profiles, with the same coffee, that's a place for you.
6: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, once Sonia Bjork-Grant, she said, when I started to judge, she told me, listen, when you compete, you have a team of judges like let's say when it's barista like seven judges that are judging you but when you're judging the whole community is judging you so this is <laughs> and I really I still remember yeah. this this quotation because this is how this is exactly how it is this is when you really learn fast so I strongly encourage everybody to try himself or herself judging this competition
0: yeah right right what do volunteers get out of it
1: yeah yeah Yeah, the volunteers are really, we need a lot of them. So if you hear me now, please enroll for roasting competition. It's really a place to learn. I would say it's really like being a volunteer. You can test if you really like to work in a roastery. This would be a perfect test for you. Because if you can survive those four days, or sometimes even more, (laughs) then then, yes, go for
0: it. Amazing. And I'm going to argue that... Volunteering for roasting competition can bring you more things than a bit of roastery experience.
1: Okay. (laughs) Tell me.
0: (laughs) I have a story for you.
7: Yeah, hello.
1: Hey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I spoke with a woman from China who volunteered at the World Coffee Roasting Championship.
4: Um, My name is Jili. That's pronounced like Chinese Jingyi. I'm a barista in Wienland.
0: And I also spoke to a man from Taiwan who also volunteered at the same competition.
7: Yeah, uh, you can call me Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mickey. Yeah, and I'm from Taiwan. I roast by myself. In Taiwan, many shops roast and uh, serve the coffee in the same
0: shop. And in 2017, both of them decided to go to Guangzhou, China, to volunteer.
7: The the teacher who teach me, uh, roasting coffee, he say uh, there's a competition and. Uh, do you want to come? It's just at Guangzhou, nearby Taiwan. And I think, oh, very good. I should go there. And then you can see the old star in the same place. I rose by myself. So I, I also want to see how these champion, how they make their coffee.
0: Julie was on one side. She was helping deliver the green beans to the right competitor. And Mickey was on the other side. He had a stopwatch, timing the competitors.
7: When I uh, first saw her, I think, Wow, the uh, because she's very um, concentrated. So I'm being attractive, so I go to talk to her first. You mm-hmm. want some coffee? <laughs>
4: <laughs> mm, but after the competition, we exchange our WeChat.
7: She's not interested on me. No. <laughs> she's not crushing on me.
4: Like a friend.
7: Relationships won't, won't go that so easily. Sometimes she just don't answer my question. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a little sad. Uh, next year, 2018, there's a green bean competition of Yunnan. I fly to there, and uh, she also work in Yunnan too, right?
4: As a friend, I have to welcome him. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> Yeah, so I planned some schedule. In my my workshop, second floor, have balcony. In the balcony, I'm watching the view, but...
7: My, my view is only focused <laughs> on hers.
4: And my colleague said, he must be love you.
7: After that, we used the video chat, and we began to, you know, face-to-face, and... Uh, the
0: romance begin but that's a problem i mean you're in taiwan and you're in china i've tried long distance it's really not easy
4: we have we chat video every day after we finished our work when i in the bed we can take 2 hours video every day he very gentle and very humor
7: we are In a long distance, right? And one day we decide to have our first date, but not in Taiwan, but not in China. Mm -hmm. Our first date is in Japan, Osaka. Osaka. We all love travel, you know, travel around Mm -hmm. and drink every... uh, The the coffee's in there, you know.
4: (laughs) Yeah. When we come into a coffee shop, we will order one American or drink drip coffee.
7: And the one latte. Uh the last day in Japan we we talk about uh h- h- how we do in the future, you know, mm-hmm. the, the next step. So so we talk about the, the marriage. Then she said okay, well, let's go let's marry. Do <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get married. Yeah, we 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 work together. I I am the roaster. He he do the most barista. S- no,
4: I'm a seller. Seller, <laughs> seller. Yeah, I'm. Salesman. She'd be
7: more like the salesman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: I think uh, this is happening a lot of, uh, to <laughs> coffee people. They fall in love all the time. I remember once there was a New Year's Eve party, like it was only for a coffee business mat, and there was only one guy who brought his new girlfriend and she was completely outside the industry. But we promised we're not going to talk about coffee. It's a New Year's Eve party, of course. It's (laughs) it's going to be fine. It's going to be fun. But after uh, half an hour, everybody started to talk about coffee and even (laughs) brew some coffee. And eventually (laughs) she went away. So this romance failed. Coffee
0: killed the romance.
1: But I see a lot of uh, really great uh, couples around, and there is only one uh, rule you can't break when you are judging. Uh, you can't be in a romantic relationship with a person that you are judging, with a competitor. Oh. It's even written in Code of Conduct and called uh, Conflict of Interest. Oh. But all others are uh, okay, and, and they are happening.
0: <laughs> so Anna, thank you so much for helping me co-host a story about the roasting championships.
1: Thank you so much for having me for this podcast.
0: But Anna, before we leave, I have one question for you. So I'm gonna play you a sound of coffee brewing. The question is, what type of coffee brewing method is it?
1: Oh, oh, I know the sound Uh, is Ibrick, no?
0: Indeed it is. Now, how would you roast a coffee for Jesve Ibrick?
1: Ah, oh, no, <laughs> this uh, is the Cheswe Ibrick is really um, a mis- still a mystery for me, so I think it would be next step for me to learn how to assess it and what kind of coffees will work uh, well and roast uh, profiles.
0: Well, Anna, the good news is we're now going to talk about Cheswe Ibrick with a new co-host.
1: Uh, thank you, James, it was really a pleasure and uh, see you next year at the competitions. I'll see you there. Bye.
0: And now I'm going to introduce a new co-host.
3: Hello, James. My name is Sarah. I'm from Saudi Arabia. So I'm the first Saudi to represent uh, my country in the Jasper Ebrick Championship and the world state.
0: Interesting. So this is a quarantine recording setup. So where are you right now?
3: I'm at home. In the storage room. Oh, really? I have all the boxes I use for coffee with the tools and cups and everything around me. <laughs> that's
4: really.: <brilliant. laughs>
3: I have a big sheet of paper on the door that says I'm in a live session. So everyone is on alert.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So Sarah, I'd love to start with a really simple question. Why do you love Jesper Ibric coffee?
3: Because I have emotional <laughs> connection to it.
0: Oh, yeah? What's that story?
3: My mother is originally from Syria and in Syria usually what happens that the family uh, will sit around an indoor fountain inside the house and then they would enjoy this type of coffee together and usually it's females who are drinking this type of coffee. It would be like when the father is away at work the mother and her daughter or her uh, neighbor would sit around the fountain and and start drinking this type of coffee. So my mother always like she wanted me to enjoy it with her, and I try, but I can't. You know, I never understood why. And then it's not until I started reading about the Brick method and uh, I competed that I said, "Oh my God! Like we can do this coffee and enjoy it together in a better way." And I started making her coffee with the specialty beans. And then at first she was like, no, this is not my coffee. And then little by little, she started enjoying it. And she she will have it without sugar, without adding any cardamom, because she used to have cardamom in it. And this is how people knew me in Saudi Arabia. It's funny because I started with espresso and I enjoy V60, but people knew that Sarah is the champion of Saudi Arabia for the Jazvah Ibreq. So it's very close to my heart because it's where people knew Sarah and how I knew myself and started to get closer to my family as well.
0: Wow, that's a really beautiful story. Now, Sarah, I know that Jesuit Ebrick coffee is drank by hundreds of millions of people. So where can you find it being drank every day?
3: You can find it uh, in a lot of places in the Middle East, like Lebanon, Syria, and North Africa, such as uh, Egypt and also in many parts in Eastern Europe.
0: Now the competition is called Jezve Ibrik. What is Jezve? What is Ibrik?
3: You have many names for the same pot. In Greece, they would call it Ibrik. In um, Turkey, they would call it Jezve. In Syria, Dole. In parts of Saudi Arabia, they call it Jezwa. In Egypt, they call it Kanaka. Huh.
0: Now Sara, you mentioned you can find Jezve Ibrik in Eastern Europe. And I spoke with a Jezve Ibrick world champion. Sarah, for you, you said you love Jezve Ibrick because it connected you more closely with your mother. But for Sergey, the flavors of one particular Jezve Ibrick coffee changed his life.
2: Hi. Hello, there, Welcome. So, my name is Sergei and I've been working with the coffee for. More than uh, six years now. I'm so excited to today. Tell me about that first time you had a Jesva coffee. What did you experience? I went to one of the Jesva coffee coffee shops uh, in Moscow and tried just classic Jesva without any additive and it was mind-blowing it was classic very sweet costa rican coffee with uh, apple nuts really sweet like red apple a lot of caramel flavors and actually most of the flavor was this sweet brown sugar calamar. it was very sweet one of the most sweet cup of coffee i've ever tried and uh, it was the moment I realized that I need to learn more about this, I want to be part of this, to be able to create this flavor myself.
0: So Sara, Sergei's on this journey, trying to discover flavors. He works at that cafe where he first tried that coffee, and then he participates and wins the Russian Jezve Ibrik championship. And he told me about his signature beverage and the flavor combinations he discovered.
2: So, I found this uh, wonderful lot from 90plus uh, called Percy Experimental Natural Lot. And uh, one day we have a little conversation with coffee trader here from Russia. She asked me, have I ever considered using silver skin from coffee? This part most uh, usually ends up uh, in the trash, actually. I tried to brew it, and I was simply amazed how sweet it is and can remind some honey, some very good pu'er tea. 10 ml of cascara
7: cider, 50 milliliters of
6: silver skin essence.
2: So, I've decided to rebuild uh, the coffee cherry in the signature beverages for the judges using uh, silver skin, cascara, and uh, one of my great friends, they brought the unique Liberica coffee flowers, not Arabica, but Liberica, and they are very different from Arabica kind uh, because they m- have much stronger aroma and uh, just amazing mouthfeel. It was just like glass of Sauvignon Blanc.
6: can drink it right <laughs> away, save time
3: amazing <laughs>
0: <laughs> so those flavors have you ever tasted a coffee like Sergei is describing?
3: of course I believe that in uh, just every coffee you get the more deeper notes of whatever is in that coffee I get more like the dried fruits and even uh, like you can get the hazelnut and nuts accentuated in the beverage and also I get the sweetness and this is very surprising to many people who tried the ibrik. In Saudi Arabia we usually add cardamom and we add a lot of sugar to it because the coffee we use is normally lower quality and it's dark roasted and I have a pop-up coffee shop And I serve Joseph every coffee on sand. And when people come, I always invite them to try it without sugar. Like I beg them sometimes, (laughs) like, please just enjoy the coffee. And if you don't like it, I will add the sugar. And then when I see the surprise on their face, most of them, they're commenting how sweet the cup is. And they don't need to add any sugar.
0: Interesting. So... What is the goal of the Jezve Ibrick competition?
3: The whole idea is, like any other competition, to celebrate the barista, to uh, celebrate the people behind this product. It's a connection between the farmer, because you are telling the farmer's story, and the roaster, the barista, it's all in that small, like uh, 60 or 90 ml of uh, beverage.
0: Wow. So, I spoke to a guy called Turgay, who is a Cezve Ibrik world champion.
3: Oh my God, Turgay is my coach. Everyone will love to know his story.
0: Oh, yes. And Turgay told me the length he goes to put
5: on a great performance. There are seven steps we need to follow to have a great Cezve Ibrik experience. My name is Turgay Yıldızlı. I'm the founder of a special Turkish coffee company based in United States. And previous uh, JSB World Champion 2013. I'm gonna talk about my coffee. Later. I was born in France, Paris, but when I was five years old, my family moved back to Turkey. So I grew up in Turkey, Good Istanbul. Water. Good quality water brings out the potential of our coffee. Uh, 2011. It was my first competition. So I just want to try to compete because I thought I can learn more. And I can connect with coffee scene in Turkey. So in the rules you had to demonstrate your folkloric, you know, cultural things during your competition. For example, competitor from Greece, they played traditional Greek music during the competition. So in 2013 I searched the traditional Ottoman history books about coffee. I found a tailor who makes costume for theater. So I definitely brought a picture, a painting to him, a coffee, traditional Ottoman coffee maker, very big pants, old style shoes, a vest. Took some time, two, three months maybe. He didn't make the hat, but everything from scratch. I prepared this one for national championship. Of course, I used for the world championship the same presentation and same costume.
0: Twitter guy then told me
5: more about the science of
0: brewing a Jezve Ibrick Coffee.
5: So, Jezve Ibrick, Turkish coffee, this is a very primitive brew method. The technical term is decoction, which is a brew heating or boiling a substance in a solvent, which is extracting coffee bean into the water. So the biggest difference between the other brew method is filtration. This creates some disadvantages and advantages. So it's difficult to control the extraction because when you brew your coffee and then pour into the cup, the coffee grounds still in the cup and extraction is continuing. So the flavor, if you create a good tasting coffee, the flavor is changing in your cup. So maybe at the beginning, it has less acidity, or maybe you can get a little bitterness, or body, it's getting more smoother. If you wait longer, it's getting more balance.
0: And then he has an argument for why we should all be trying to compete at the Jesuit Ibrick competition.
5: You know, it's difficult to compete at barista competitions against well-funded competitors. It's not easy to compete at that level, but this uh, competition is a chance for competitors to experience world stage. National championships, it's not easy, but less competitors attend. So they have more chance at the national level and then they can go compete at the world stage as a host competitor it was a pleasure to serve you today time
3: mm-hmm. amazing <laughs> would love to meet one day
0: but you never met to guy
3: i never met him <laughs> we only met at skype what
0: but how does he coach you if you only met him on skype
3: What we did, we started sharing the same coffee. So I would send him the coffee, and we would brew it together, and would tell him my way of brewing, and he would try it, and then he would give me the feedback. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is crazy
0: to me. I mean, how do you, how do you know you're making the same coffee? What if he gets different water? What if he ground it slightly differently to you?
3: It will be different, but it's not gonna be like way different. If there's a big difference, then I know that there's something wrong.
0: There we go. Calling all aspiring baristas. You don't need to be in a cafe side by side to a coach to learn how to make great coffee. <laughs> you just have a Skype conversation. So I live in Berlin. So my neighborhood is called Neukölln. And it is a historically Turkish neighborhood. Cool. And I can buy the Jezver coffee maker in my local supermarket. So what what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna buy one and I'm gonna try it out on my stove. But I have a question. Mm -hmm. How fine does the coffee have to be?
3: The finest setting on your grinder.
0: Okay, hold the phone. I'll be right back. (laughs) Okay, here's my grinder. (laughs) So you're saying the finest setting on this grinder.
3: So uh, as long as you can grind like.
0: (laughs) All right, I'm gonna try grind this. (laughs) I'm gonna stand up for this. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <It's not good. laughs> oh my you God. have to practice <laughs> this, is, this, is really,
0: this is really intense
3: yeah, it is. <laughs> it's your morning workout
0: so how fine is this this needs to be really 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 clumpy
3: it's, it has to be very very soft and very uh, it's very delicate fluffy
0: cool okay i'm gonna go out and buy my Jesuit ibrick brewer and i'll tell you how it goes and before we wrap up, Guy mentioned how he thinks Jets Ibrik is a great competition to start with because there aren't as many competitors for it compared to other competitions. So mathematically, your odds are better in terms of having that world championship experience.
3: Uh, actually, I agree with uh, Turgay. Maybe it's not as big as the community in Espresso or other brewing methods, but it is a strong community because we, most of us, we know each other.
0: So... Imagine, you know, I'm a barista. How do I get involved with this?
3: Like everything is in the website, the Specialty Coffee Association website. You can uh, read more and more about the competitions and you can reach out also to people who competed before you.
0: Cool. And what if my country doesn't have a Jesuit Ibrick competition?
3: there are like regional chapters and you can compete under these chapters like for example when i competed the first time it was under the middle east and north africa so uh, you will always find a way and i believe it's getting even more popular in many areas in europe as well like i've seen people from germany and italy are competing and now I have coffee friends from Ukraine and from Greece. That's great. And uh, it's really cool.
0: Well, Sarah, it looks like we've come to the end.
3: Okay, James. How about doing the credits?
0: Let's do it. So for this episode, I'd like to thank Trish Rothgeb,
3: Anna Oleksak,
0: Sergey Blinikov,
3: Sylvia Gutierrez,
0: Yuen Jing Yi, and Li Yi Mu,
3: and Tor Gail Desley.
0: But there are many other people too who we haven't got time to thank but we've listed all their names on the sca website
3: and now let's give a shout out to the sponsors
0: yes so the world coffee championship podcast series is supported by victoria arduino victoria arduino advances coffee knowledge and innovates across design technology and performance to produce machines that nurture coffee professionals passion for espresso excellence you can learn more at victoriaarduino.com or give them a follow at Victoria Arduino 1905 And today's episode on the Jesuit Ibrick Championships and the World Roasting Championships is supported by Lumidis Papagallos. For over a century, Lumidis Papagallos has been evolving Ibrick coffee tradition in Greece. You can learn more by visiting nestlenoyazomai.gr slash lumidis.
3: And now we should thank you, James, for putting this all together.
0: Thank you. Yeah, this podcast series was produced by me, James Halper, of Filter Productions for the Specialty Coffee Association.
3: Now tell me what's happening in the next episode.
0: Yes, in the next episode, we are covering the Coffee in Good Spirits and Brewers Championships. We're going to be looking at stories of kitchens being set on fire, the genesis behind the Brewers competition. And we're going to be asking how accessible are these competitions in the first place?
3: Wow, excited to hear it.
0: I can't wait to share it with you. And Sada, thank you so much for helping me navigate this story. And I heard you have something exciting happening on the horizon.
3: Yes, we are opening our cafe by the end of the year. And it's that cafe in the capital city of Riyadh in Saudi Arabia.
0: Sada, tell me, how good will the Jezve Ibrick coffee be if I make it to Riyadh?
3: It's worth the trip for sure.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks again. And I'll see you next year.
3: Okay. Bye-bye, James.
0: See ya. Bye.